In this podcast, through the use of simple case studies of common conditions, we provide an approach to coming to a differential diagnosis and then working through it to get to a diagnosis. We'll cover relevant anatomy, pathology, history and clinical examination findings, as well as investigations to provide you with an approach to figure out what's wrong with your patient. Hi, my name is Bryce. And I'm Mayuri. In the first episode of this podcast series, we discuss with Prof Brunt a general approach to any patient with a clinical problem. So let's get going. You often talk about first impressions. What do you mean by this? A patient presents with a specific complaint and has clinical signs relevant to their underlying condition. It's an art to obtain a focused history. What is important is that the history guides you as where to look for the most likely diagnosis. Once you have the main complaint, you shall have an idea of the potential organ system or systems that are involved. This requires a knowledge of the potential organs involved in giving the symptoms and signs as well as pathology that may occur in these organs. Your history taking then becomes more focused. For me, I always think of the worst case scenario and work back from there. I call these signs red flags. Prof, what are red flags? A red flag is something that may be life-threatening or require urgent treatment to improve the patient's immediate quality of life. And could you give us some brief examples of these red flags? So just off the top of my head, and because it's close to my heart, is obstructive jaundice, where there are four red flags that tell me that the patient requires urgent drainage of their biliary tree. These include severe acute cholangitis, bleeding, pruritus, and acute renal dysfunction which does not improve with fluids. Another example would be a thyroid mass, where we would look for signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism, voice changes, and dysphagia. We will deal with red flags in the individual podcast covering each condition. Now going back to the general approach to our patients, what else do you look for? So once you've obtained an adequate history, you'll have an idea of what could be wrong with your patient and which complications, or red flags, to examine for. One always has to have an organized, systematic approach to examining a patient, regardless of the field of medicine in which you are currently working. For example, start with the vital signs and follow this with a general examination. A commonly used mnemonic that we use is called JACOLD, which is jaundice, anemia, clubbing, edema, lymphadenopathy, and dehydration. Thereafter, I go to the organ system or the most likely site of pathology and examine it. So for example, a patient with a neck mass, I would start with a neck examination. A breast mass, I would proceed to a breast examination. Thereafter, I proceed to complete my examination of the systems I have not examined for, looking specifically for signs of the pathology. So in other words, if I'm worried that a patient has a malignancy, I'm looking for signs of malignant um, metastases. I've noticed that people often separate history and examination. But there is no reason that while you're examining a patient, you cannot continue with the history. You may find a clinical sign that doesn't completely fit in with the initial history. Then why not just ask the patient some more questions to see how this fits in with their story. So Prof, once you've completed the history and examination, what's your next step? So now's the time that you need to ask yourself, which disease or conditions could present this way? So in other words, you need to derive a differential diagnosis from the history and clinical examination findings. Write the list down and always start with the most likely diagnosis first. 
If you don't have a most likely diagnosis, start with the red flag conditions that you need to actively exclude. The adage that common things occur commonly is very true. Don't start by looking for the rare conditions. You can think of rare conditions once you've completed your investigations and excluded all of the common things. And now, how do you go about making a diagnosis? So this is where special investigations come in. But we don't just order investigations blindly. Just because there is a blood test request form doesn't mean we can just tick all of the tests and the same for radiology and then we just see what comes back and what is abnormal. You need to know why you're asking for a test. What answer do you expect to get from your history and your clinical exam? We've heard you say on ward rounds that a surgery patient always has two aspects to them. The condition that they present with and their operability. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, so most surgical diagnoses are managed with a surgical intervention. To be able to have a surgical intervention, usually some form of anesthesia is required. Often this is a general anesthetic. To be able to withstand an anesthetic, a patient must have a level of physiological reserve or fitness so that they do not suffer from cardiac or pulmonary uh, complications. This is what is called operability. But operability for me is not only tolerating the anesthesia, but also having a sufficient physiological reserve to survive the most common complications of the proposed surgical intervention. There is no point in operating upon a patient whom you know cannot tolerate a common complication. So an example would be a patient who needs a pancreaticoduodenectomy, not only needs to be able to tolerate a prolonged anesthesia, but this is a procedure which has a high complication rate or a high morbidity rate, and some of which are physiologically quite taxing. The patient needs to be fit enough to be able to withstand these. Hence, the preoperative workup for a patient who needs a Whipple usually includes lung functions, exercise testing, and even cardiac sonars. However, on the other hand, a young patient with no comorbidities and maybe an inguinal hernia does not need extensive preoperative investigations. Appropriate tests for the appropriate intervention and the appropriate patient is required. We've recorded a more detailed podcast for perioperative investigations in the Apprentices of Surgery podcast series. I recommend for these listeners who are involved with determining the operability of a patient to listen to those podcasts. Can you tell us more about special investigations? At this stage of the clinical workup of a patient, there are two broad subdivisions. There are blood tests and there are radiological investigations. We have covered so-called routine blood tests in the Students of Surgery podcast series, so I'm not going to dwell on these here. But basically, most patients will get a full blood count and a urea and electrolytes. Thereafter, choose the appropriate test. So for example, in a patient who may have appendicitis, do a CRP. If they possibly have a thyroid mass, we would do a thyroid stimulating hormone level as well as a T4 level. And what about radiology? So there is no routine radiological investigation. Depending on the potential pathology, you'll do a specific imaging. So for example, if you suspect a perforated peptic ulcer, we'll do an erect chest x-ray. If there's potential peripheral vascular disease, we'll do a duplex Doppler of those blood vessels. Just like for blood tests, choose the relevant investigation which may answer your specific question to come to a final diagnosis. I find a good exercise here is to explain to the radiologist 
why you are requesting a specific investigation and what you are looking for in that investigation that will confirm or exclude your diagnosis. If they understand, you have come to grips with your patient's presentation. Once you've completed the initial special investigations, what then? So by now, you should have a very good idea of what your patient's diagnosis is. Now is the time to decide if further investigations are indicated or whether you can proceed to treatment. Sometimes you need to start the treatment before proceeding to investigations, especially if there are red flag conditions that need to be dealt with. If you don't have a diagnosis, you need to go back to the patient and confirm or obtain more history. Repeat your clinical examination, keeping in mind the diagnoses that you have now excluded. This is also a good point to ask for a second opinion. Never start treatment for a patient if you don't know what you are treating. Ask for help. There's no shame. Prof, what is your take-home message? So I guess it's to have a standardized approach to history taking and clinical examination that you'll apply in all medical rotations or fields and then adapt it to what the patient has presented with. You need to have knowledge of the pathologies you are likely to encounter in the department that you're working in and you must know the red flags, the potentially life-threatening conditions or complications of a condition. And finally, order special investigations to answer specific questions you have to come to reach a final diagnosis. Do not order tests randomly. And lastly, if in doubt, ask for a second opinion. This has been great. Thank you for this general approach to a patient, Prof. We look forward to hearing about specific clinical cases in future podcasts. Thanks, guys. Until the next one. This has been another podcast in the What's Wrong With This Patient series. Be sure to like this episode and subscribe to the channel for updates and other material. If you found this podcast useful, why not listen to the Students of Surgery podcast series as well? Until the next patient, keep reading, keep examining and keep asking questions.